Well, good morning, community of faith. Uh, happy early, Merry Christmas. Um, I don't think that's the way you say it, but hey, you know, you get the, you get the deal. Um, listen, <clears throat> we're going to uh, have communion today, and some of you are maybe worried that we skipped that, but we are going to do communion later, um, and we're going to land our time in the message with communion, and we're going to worship one last th- song. So um, I wanted to give you a little heads up, because if you'll notice around you, you'll see one of these. Um, this is simply how we're doing communion in 2020. Everything's different. Um, you'll notice on the top, there's a, a piece of bread there, and then you pull back the second uh, layer of cellophane, and then you'll have the juice. Um, so we'll do that here in a little bit. So if you want to kind of find that, it'll make that easier later. But I want to give you a heads up. You know, it's interesting. God has a sense of humor. Uh, he knew for the last couple of weeks that uh, I was going to be teaching today on the idea of peace. And I haven't had a lot of peace in the last 24 hours or so because I'm an Aggie. And today is the day that the college football playoff was going to announce the top four teams for the college football playoff. And I thought, this is the year. And so I have been eagerly anticipating landing in the top four. And just a few minutes ago, as I was walking into the room, multiple people decided it was appropriate to tell me in that moment that A&M is number five. So my... Anxiety level kind of shifted from anxiety to frustration, and so I am still struggling to experience peace, Um, but that's life of an Aggie, just not quite good enough. (laughs) That seems to be where we constantly land. Uh, But I do want us to think about the idea of peace, peace at Christmas. This has been such a crazy year, but think about that for you. What does peace look like for you? Maybe for some of us in the room, some of you, peace for you looks like this, hanging out at the beach, in the sun, getting a tan, digging your toes into the sand, finding that cooler sand underneath the surface, hearing the waves just kind of continue to repeatedly hit the sand to hit the beach. And for you, that's, that is peace. Maybe for others, it's this, mountains, just, just to be in the mountains. There's nothing like it. The sounds of nature and the peace and the calm, for you, it's, that's peace. For others, maybe it's this, a clean house. That's not my house. Be cool if it was, Um, but maybe that's what it is for you. You're like, man, I can't rest, I can't relax, I can't experience peace unless the house is clean and tidy and neat. For others, maybe it's this, all the bills paid. That equals peace in your life. You're like, man, if they could all just be paid and I didn't have to worry about it, that would be peace. For others, maybe it's this, all the kids are asleep. The house is quiet. And some of you would add to that, hey, if it's the kids and my spouse, then we're experiencing peace in our house. And uh, I had a lady like shout out loud in the last service for that one. Uh, But what I want us to think about is what does peace look like in 2020? And I don't want us to so much think about circumstantial peace, peace that is a result of the things going on or not going on the way that we want in our lives like we've talked about in the last couple of minutes. But think about a real peace something that pushes out the restlessness, the confusion, the chaos in our lives, where we can feel like we can stand grounded in something. I heard another pastor say this several months ago. He said this, peace is the product of presence. That's the peace I want us to talk about today. Peace is the product of presence, being in the presence of someone, specifically being in the presence of Jesus, because that's what Christmas is all about. If you've been around church for very long, you maybe have heard the word Advent. Advent is simply the arrival or the coming of Jesus. And we celebrate the first Advent at Christmas because we're, we're looking back, but that's not all that there is to know about 
Advent. And so in this season of 2020, what a bizarre year. You know, I learned in 2020 what it's like to fall asleep in one of my own sermons. I'm sorry, I now can relate with you with what you've experienced. But it's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of chaos, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, confusion. And I think as we look at Advent today, not only do we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, not only do we get to anticipate the return of Jesus and even wait with Jesus now, but as we do those three things together, we can begin to experience peace, not just at Christmas, but in the other 364 days out of the year. So I want us to talk about today, peace in the 365, a peace that goes with us every single day, not just at Christmas. And I want us to start by looking at Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 10, it says this. It says, and so the angel said to them, do not be afraid. All right, we see the humanity in this moment because if you and I are hanging out in the fields with our sheep in the middle of the night and an angel shows up and starts talking to us, we are terrified. Okay, that's gonna be a problem. So the angel quickly says, hey, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news. Can I just say that the good news that we see here that is being described here is the same good news for us today. And that's what we're gonna dive into. He says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Notice it doesn't just say for some of the people. It doesn't just say for the rich people or for the poor people or for the happy or the sad or for those that are far away or those that are in church. Those aren't. It says for all people. So this good news is for every single one of us. We just get to choose on how to respond to it today. Great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, that's important. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly army of angels. Now, if one angel was too much, now you've got a multitude, all right? So we got angels praising God. This is a celebration taking place, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because there's good news. There's a celebration happening because there's a good news that is being expressed and on earth, peace. I don't know about you, but I need some of that in my life. Not just today, but every day on earth, peace. Not in heaven one day, not somewhere in the future, but today on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. Listen, for us today, in order to experience peace in our lives, I believe it's it's accessible and it can be found when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. You wanna experience peace in your life, then I think there's something that happens when we begin to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, it's interesting, it says good news. Why is it good news? Because up until this point, for centuries, there have been prophecy and promises made by God himself about the arrival of his son, Jesus, about God in the flesh. Promise after promise after promise. You can go back all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter three, starting in verse 15. You can read the very first one in the first moment of shame and guilt and regret after the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we see God show up and make a promise to send the one who would crush the head of the enemy. So we already had a rescue plan in place in a moment of shame. You go a few chapters over in Genesis chapter 12 and we read about God promising to Abraham that he's going to bless the people of the earth through the lineage of Abraham. You continue to read promise after promise all throughout the Old Testament. You can get all the way to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter seven, we read about the, the, the fact that the birth of Jesus is going to happen 
for a woman who is a virgin, who is, who is going to conceive a child without ever being physically with a man. And then we read about in that same passage that he's gonna be born into poverty. You know, I think that's important for us to understand because Jesus didn't arrive like on a fighter jet, riding a Harley. He didn't show up with like this big fortress of people surrounding him, everybody taking notice. He showed up as a humble servant. And that's what Isaiah chapter seven reminds us of. And as I was preparing for this, I came across this brief passage in one of the books, reference books I have on the Advent. And the author said this, he said, don't miss what it means that Jesus was born into poverty. Check this out. It's important for us to see this because it reminds us that poverty is not a sin. Poverty is not a sign of God's disapproval. Poverty does not prevent someone from worshiping God. Poverty is not shameful in and of itself. Poverty does not necessarily doom a person to poverty forever. Poverty is a cross that God entrusts. I love how he says that. Poverty is a cross that God entrusts to some for a season and we can be faithful for it, faithful in it. Listen, if you are in a place where you would maybe designate yourself or you feel poor, maybe it's not just a financial thing, you just feel downtrodden, you feel discouraged. Can I just, can I just say that Jesus arrived the first time and identified with you? He identified for us because that's the reality for all of us. We all find ourselves in that place. And Jesus showed up, he humbled himself to be like us. It's why we celebrate that, but we see that in the prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter nine, it talks about where Jesus was going to be born in Galilee, which is significant because that was a place of darkness. And it talks about how he was gonna be a light in the darkness, the light would arrive and it would pierce the darkness. This was a place of destruction, of chaos, of war. Anytime um, the, the, Israel, the, city, the area of Israel was invaded, it was invaded from the north. And so this was a difficult, dysfunctional place, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Yet Jesus shows up there to be light in the darkness. And you go on to Isaiah 53 and you begin to read about Jesus and his arrival and how he's ultimately going to put on flesh, take the posture of a humble servant, bear our griefs, pay the penalty for our sin and take on the wrath that you and I deserve when he goes to the cross. We read about all this in the Old Testament. Did you know, let me just, let me just geek out with you for a minute especially some of you who are like big historical fact kind of people. There are 322 specific prophecies in the Old Testament about the life of Jesus that is to come, written over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're not vague, they're not general. It's not like, hey, some guy is gonna show up and then he's gonna die on a cross. They are specific, specific promises about where he's gonna be born. The town of Bethlehem, you see that in Micah 5 too how he's gonna be crucified, having his hands and his feet pierced. You see that in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. Executioners are gonna gamble for his clothes. You see that in Psalm 22. That he, would be, be, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. You see that in Zechariah 11, verse 13. You find in Daniel 9, 25, that he's gonna be born 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. These are specific. Here's what's so fascinating to me that I hope is, is, is landing somewhere with you today. I was reading Dr. Peter Stone, a professor of science at Westmont College. He decided one day that he was gonna try to figure out the probability that all 322 prophecies in the entire Old Testament would all be fulfilled with one man in one specific moment in history. 
And so he began to do the math. He began to figure that out. And that's so much more than I could even begin to comprehend. But he came down to the end of it. And he said, the chance, the probability of all 322 coming true is one in 10 to the 157th power. That's a lot. That's a big number. He even had the American Scientific Association check his math, and they came to the conclusion that his math was far too conservative. So can we just think about this? Because I, I mean, I'm a visual person, and so I can't do this to make this visual for you, but just go, go there with me for a second. We live in a great state. We live in the great state of Texas. We love our state, but here's what I love about our state the most. It's ginormous. It is huge. And you can experience all kinds of different things in our state when you travel all over the place. If you took our state and you took a silver dollar and then you added to that another silver dollar and you continue to add it to the silver dollars enough that you could stack them two feet tall across the entire state. So that's a lot of silver dollars, okay? Let's just, let's just agree, that's a lot. Let's say you take one of those silver dollars scattered across the state of Texas, two feet deep, and you make a red mark on it, and then you just toss it out somewhere in the state. And then, let's get real crazy, okay? Let's say that we take one of those cannons, you know the ones like at the circus? No one's going to the circus right now, so maybe I'm leaving you behind, but you know what I mean? You know the big ones you've seen on TV, and they launch this guy out of a cannon onto this big net? Let's just say that we put one of those in Mexico, and it's super high-powered, and it launches this dude into the air, into the state of Texas, and then he lands somewhere, anywhere. And when he lands, he takes one of those silver dollars. The chance of him picking up the silver dollar with the red mark on it is the same probability that Jesus would arrive and fulfill all 322 prophecies throughout the Old Testament. This isn't just a chance. This isn't just a once upon a time story. These are specific promises and it's so impressive to me. And here's what I don't want us to miss. I don't want us to miss at Christmas the truth and the reality of the character of God who so desperately wants a relationship with us, who so desperately wants us to experience peace. I don't want us to miss that for the sake of all of our customs and all of our Christmas traditions. I mean, you've put your Christmas trees up. Some of you put them up before Thanksgiving. Others of you put them up after Thanksgiving. Let's just go ahead and clarify who that was for a second. Let me just ask you, how many of you, because I need to make sure you're awake, all right? Because I know what that's like now. Let me just ask you this. How many of you put your Christmas tree up, all your Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving this year? All right, we got some hands up in the room. All right, good, good. Um, Notice my hand was up. Um, Actually, it's not mine because my wife did it all by herself because I'm a bad husband. Um, But what about all the rest of you? Who... Put your Christmas decorations up after Thanksgiving. All right, there's all the people that judged all the other ones that raised their hand just a second ago. So obviously it's 2020 and we are a house divided. Listen, we put our Christmas trees up. We listen to our Christmas music. You're listening to Christmas music on K-Love all day, every day. And maybe you started listening to it all the way in July. We watch the Christmas movies. You're watching the Hallmark movies. Some big city lawyer girl goes back home and then she meets some tractor driving high school dropout who looks like Matthew McConaughey and they fall in love. And that's just like what every Christmas movie on the Hallmark, Hallmark channel, well, that's how it lands. It's, it's crazy to me. And we watch them over and over and over. We do Elf on a Shelf. We do Santa Claus. We even have Advent calendars, but I think that it could be tragic for us with all these good and fun and great traditions that we might miss the reality of the original arrival of Jesus. It's why we celebrate 
Advent at Christmas. My fear is that when Christmas is over, that we would come to a place where we thought maybe we would find some peace this year at Christmas and we get into January and we start to experience the Christmas blues. We begin to ask, where's our peace? Wes talked about it, where's our peace? But to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Look what it says in John chapter 14 though, because it doesn't stop there. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. I don't know about you, but I've had some experience in this year. Even recently, my heart's been troubled, lacking peace, lacking contentment. Jesus is saying this. He says, believe in God, believe in me also. And then he talks about how he's gonna go away and he's gonna prepare a place for his followers. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. That's a promise. That's a promise from God in the flesh who arrived in a miraculous supernatural way on this earth, just like he was promised. And then he makes another promise. He says, I am coming again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you will also be. See, not only do we find peace when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also find peace when we anticipate the return of Jesus. To live in anticipation for the promise that he made in John chapter 14, verses one and three. Did you know the first arrival of Jesus, the the actual arrival of Jesus, not his full life, the arrival of Jesus was prophesied 129 times in the Old Testament. And we have a holiday about it. I mean, we, we celebrate that, but it's interesting to me how little we as Jesus followers talk about the second arrival of Jesus, the second advent of Jesus, because it's actually talked about 329 times in the scripture. So it's communicated even more than his first arrival, yet we don't always think about it. I was thinking about it this way, because it's interesting to live in a moment between something, between one thing happening and the anticipation of something else happening, living in that moment. It kind of feels like this, I've experienced it, it kind of feels like this. Some of you know what that is. If you don't know what that is, that means you use an Android phone and I'm praying for you, Um, not really. But if you use an iPhone, which means when you text somebody, somebody, the letters are blue instead of green, um, and then you sit there and as you text them, most of the times you text them because you desire that they respond. And so you either ask them a question, you're trying to find out something um, important, some information that you need to make it through the rest of your day. And so you text them and then you sit and you wait. And then at some point you see this come up on the screen. And that means they're typing. And so you're asking them a question, you begin to think. And here's what's interesting. I don't know if this is just me or if you can relate, but when I see that come up, I start to wonder, what are they gonna say? Because sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty innocent. It's just a simple question. And so they might just respond with a little tap back with a, a like emoji or a haha or an LOL, which means, listen, if somebody responds with just a tap back, that means they're done with the conversation, okay? So just, just helping some of you out because some of you are like, I don't know what that means. I need to expound on that. It's like, no, this, is, this, this eliminates small talk. But here, just think about it this way. Let's just say that you're a single dude. 2020 has been a little bit difficult in the dating scene, I would assume. It's thrown some, some, uh, some new wrenches in the mix. And so let's say you, just, you meet this um, lady that you are attracted to and you are interested in and you're hopeful that she's interested in you as well. And so you send her a text message. Hey, it was, it was good to meet you or it was good to hang out with you. I hope you're having a great week. You hit send and then you wait. You wait for this, and then you see that come up. 
And then the anxiety begins to creep up a little bit more. You begin to think, oh my gosh, what, what is she gonna say? What is she gonna do? How is she gonna, is, am, I, am I crossing the line? Should I not be doing this? Should I pick up the phone? Should I have actually asked her? And the longer you're there, the more your stress level goes up. And if you wanna really experience a whole new level of stress, you sit there and you watch this. And you're like, man, she's typing a long time. This is either gonna be really good or this is gonna be really bad. But here's what, like, check this out. If this disappears after a long time of typing, Oh, game over. I mean, you go into full stalker mode. You are going, you are investigating everything you can find. You get on her Facebook page and you're like, man, did she post anything since I sent her that text and she was typing? And if she did, then your mind begins to race. You begin to think about all these terrible things. You're hopeful, but you're unsure. You're unsure of what the response is going to look like and it begins to create anxiety, stress. The waiting is brutal unless you know what to expect. Unless you know what she's going to say, and we don't have that insight when we're texting, but we do have this insight in the context of talking about peace that comes from Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. We were talking about angels showing up. Listen, when Jesus shows up with a shout, it's gonna get my attention. It's gonna be bold, it's gonna be strong. This isn't Jesus showing up in the hay in a manger, hanging out with farm animals. Jesus is showing up from heaven, heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. This is amazing. This is overwhelming to think about. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If you're afraid of heights, get ready. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort. You know, I think it's interesting that this phrase is in this passage. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I had a friend of mine in the last couple of weeks who was dealing with a tragic death of a family member. Unexpected, difficult, painful, really crazy time of the year for something like that to happen. And so she um, had a lot of questions about death and dying and heaven and hell and the end times and she sent me a list of questions and I just sat for hours kind of processing through it, trying to decide how to respond and to respond appropriately but with truth. And I started thinking about this passage. And listen, I got a little bit overwhelmed, but I also kind of got this hope and this peace in me because I know how the story ends. You know, for so many that have already gone on but had such a strong faith in Jesus, this is gonna be an important day. They're experiencing heaven with Jesus now, but there's gonna be this day where Jesus shows up on this earth with a shout. He's gonna crack open the sky. And those that have gone on before, their bodies are gonna be resurrected with a new body, a perfect body for a new earth, for a new kingdom. Everything that is wrong is going to be made right. And in that moment, when those who are risen up from their graves are gonna be joined together with those that are still alive on this earth, like I can't even begin to comprehend the scene. But we hear about this throughout scripture about the second arrival of Jesus. And it gives me confidence because it points me to how the story is going to end. And I think it's something that we need to really pay attention to because here's what happens for us. We're stuck in the middle, we're stuck in the bubbles. We know about the arrival of Jesus and now we know about the return of Jesus and the anticipation for that. We know how the story ends, but we get confused because we get stuck in this place of waiting. We don't like to wait. 
And oftentimes we get to a place where we wait and we begin to feel like we've done something wrong. We've messed up. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. God, you love me. God, you care for me. God, you want me to experience peace. But here I am in this time in 2020. Christmas is about to land. I'm not gonna get to hang with family like I used to. I'm not really experiencing peace. And how long is this gonna go? Can I just remind you, maybe encourage you today that waiting is actually an essential element of our faith. Throughout scripture, you hear about people waiting. Maybe you're in a season, a season of darkness, a season of discouragement, a season of tension. Maybe you're overwhelmed with some of the things that have gone on this year for you personally. Maybe you're looking around at the injustice that seems to be reigning around you. Maybe you've even been a victim of some of that injustice and you're just like, God, how long is this going to last? Can I just encourage you that just because you're waiting doesn't mean that we have to lose hope because it's in the waiting that God does some of his strongest work. You see this in passages in the Old Testament. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, blessed are those who wait for him. He's good to us. We're blessed. And Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Listen, I don't know what your years look like. Maybe you're overwhelmed when you think about some of the family dynamics and you just wish that your family could kind of come back together to be what you always hoped it would be. Maybe you're in a place where you just wish that you had a family of your own. When I joked a little bit a minute ago about being single and the dating scene, like that's real and that's heavy for you because you've, you've kind of been looking forward to finding that perfect mate for you about starting a family and having your own family. And this year has thrown a wrench in that and it's made it difficult to find that person. And so you find yourself in a place of waiting, discouraged, you know, I think it's important for us to know that in our darkest times, in our deepest struggles, in the most complicated situations in our life, we don't need a sentimental Jesus that makes us feel warm at night. We don't need a Jesus who is one part magician, one part therapist, and one part life coach, and then the rest warm fuzzy blankets. We need to understand the Jesus who is sovereign over all things working in this world to do the things that we experience every single day. That's the Jesus that we need our eyes opened up to. That's the Jesus that we are anticipating is going to return. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. This is the word, these are Je this is Jesus speaking this in the book of Revelation. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This passage, along with other passages all throughout scripture that talk about Jesus being the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, they're reminding us that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is God. And if Jesus is God, then that means that he was here in the beginning and he's gonna be there in the end. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, that if he was there in the beginning and he's there in the end, then he's here in the middle, in the time of waiting, in the struggle. When our circumstances aren't all that we want them to be, we trust his sovereignty that he is in control and he's gonna take care of us, that he is with us. He reminded his followers, he reminded his disciples of this in John chapter 16, look what it says. It says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, this is Jesus speaking, so that in me, you may have peace. 
in the world, you have tribulation. Anybody had some tribulation this year? I know we all have. We can relate to that. We can relate to tribulation and we can relate to not having peace, but he's saying, hey, you're gonna have both. It's possible to experience both. So take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus is reminding us of who he is. And so we can experience peace in our lives now as we remember, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also anticipate the return of Jesus. But I think most importantly for us today, as we find ourselves in the middle, we simply wait with Jesus. We wait with Jesus and we find peace there. You know, it's interesting. There are two types of people in the world. There are people who are on time and there are people who are late. I mean, people that are on time, I mean, they are there five, 10 minutes before the scheduled time to be there. That's just how they roll. The rest of us, notice I said us, we're late. We're late to work, we're late to dinner, we're late to the ball game, we're late to the kids' practice, we are late to everything, we are late to life, we're gonna be late to our funeral one day. I mean, let's just figure out who we are in the room for a second, all right? How many of you are on-time people? You're like, man, I am, I am on time all the time. All right, good. These are the people that have their lives together. Good, good to know. How many of you, like me, are late? All right, good. A little more honesty in this crowd than the 930. How many of you, let's do this, because this was fun. How many of you are sitting next to someone who's always late, but didn't just raise their hand to tell us that they're always late? Anybody? All right, exposed, <laughs> exposed. Isn't it funny? You guys weren't as bad as a 930, but it's funny how often we don't want people to know that we're late. But my wife would tell you, I'm late all the time. It drives her crazy. It drives my family crazy. But doesn't it feel like Jesus is late sometimes? It's funny to kind of think about it in our own context in the daily grind, but when we think about life and we find ourselves in a place where we're not experiencing peace, we begin to think, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, it's 2000 and late. You're not here. What's going on? Where, where are you? I don't know about you, but I've experienced some of that this year. 2020 has been rough and it hasn't been all terrible. I, you know, in some ways I kind of hate talking about it all the time because um, I, there are things to celebrate in 2020. Clearly, it's not gonna be an a and football championship, but there are some things to celebrate in 2020. But there's also been some really overwhelming times. I don't know where you land in life, but we all have different responsibilities and obligations. Times where we're supposed to lead, times where we're supposed to help, times where we're supposed to navigate difficult situations. And this year has been a year where nobody's known what to do. There's been overwhelming times. There have been times we've had to make decisions even here that we're like, man, what's the best decision? And we all kind of look at each other and say, I don't know. I don't know what the best decision is. And it's interesting that in that I've, I've learned because I think that I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what the circumstances are gonna um, do in the future. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to navigate a certain direction and I get overwhelmed I get discouraged, I get frustrated, and then I have to write a sermon and I'll stand on a stage like this and communicate a message to you. And you think, man, he's got it all together and I don't. And I'm not saying this so that you'll feel sorry for me. I'm saying this because you can relate. We all have found ourselves in a place where we don't know what to do. And in these moments, I've learned something over the last few years. I've learned that we can wait with Jesus, that we can call on Jesus in those moments. And I haven't learned that on my own. I've learned that from watching Mark and Laura Shook. And this isn't my moment to kind of speak and try to, um, you know, just 
lift up my pastors. This isn't flattery. This is something I've learned in them and I've had to watch them because it's a struggle for me. But there have been moments over the years that I have sat with them and in moments where none of us knew what to do, Mark or Laura would just stop us and say, hey, we need to pray about this. And it's not so that we can pray so that Jesus will come into the situation and wave his magic wand at everything and make everything okay. We pray because when we pray, it gives us this sense of calm. It gives us a sense of peace that when we don't have the answers, we don't have the ability, we don't have the intelligence to figure something out, we have somebody with us who does. And I don't have to worry about how it's gonna turn out because I know that he is with me. And Hebrews chapter 13 promises that he will never leave me, never forsake me. And so I have confidence that he is with me today in whatever I am walking through. And sometimes I can get so overwhelmed with what's overwhelming me that I fail to remember that I'm waiting with Jesus. Jesus is with us and peace, true peace is a product of his presence in our lives. So let me ask you this question. Whose presence are you allowing into your life? What are you looking to? Who are you looking to? Where are you looking to for that peace? You know, we're real good at listening to music all the time. We're real good at scrolling web pages all the time. We're real good at looking at social media all day long. We're real good at watching TV and the news and then going to sleep and hitting repeat and doing the exact same thing day after day after day. Or maybe we sit down and we watch the news trying to get all the facts and all the data and all the information so that we can have a better idea of everything that's going on so that maybe we can do a better job of controlling what's gonna happen in our future. But can I just tell you, and I don't have to tell you this because you know this to be true, but yet we still repeat the cycle. Doing that doesn't bring more peace. It just adds to the chaos and the confusion and the dysfunction in our life. I'm not saying that as Jesus followers, we just bury our heads in the sand and be oblivious to what's going on around us. But I wonder what it would look like for us to sit and intentionally invite the presence of Jesus into our lives and our circumstances and our situations, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. Look at this last verse in Revelation chapter 22. John is writing this, the author of Revelation. Jesus has given him this vision about what his return is going to look like. And at the very end of the last chapter in the whole Bible, John says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Those are the words of Jesus. This is the second advent. He says, yes, I am coming quickly. And I love the response of John. And this, this shook me up the last couple of weeks. John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In other words, show up, Lord Jesus. My challenge for us this week, for you this week, is that you would pray that. That you would pray that when you wake up. You would pray that when you're driving to work. You would pray that while you're doing the dishes, while you're working in the yard, while you're sitting at your desk at work. Come, Lord Jesus. And it feels like kind of a crazy prayer to think because we're promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So why would I be praying, come Lord Jesus, right now in this moment? Why would I pray that? Let me illustrate it this way. You know, I've been married for 14 and a half years. 14 and a half years ago, I stood before a group of people and before God and I told my wife, hey, I love you. I'm committed to you. I promise my love to you in sickness and in health. I will never leave you. I'm all in till death do us part. 
But you know what? And you know this to be true. Two people can live in the same house with each other and not be connected with each other. There are times where my wife and I can both come home and we can be in the same room, even sitting on the same couch right next to each other and be disconnected from one another. And we're gonna continue to stay disconnected in that moment until one of us invites the other one in. I think that's what John is doing in this passage. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're there. Come, Lord Jesus. What would that look like for us? In a year of chaos, in a year of struggle, in a year of job loss, financial strife and heartache and pain, dysfunction at home because we're spending a lot of time together, a diagnosis for you or for someone close to you, what would it look like in every single one of those situations to say, come, Lord Jesus? I trust you. You're sovereign over everything. And that's how I want us to close today. I want us to pray for that because we need Jesus in these situations. And so if you're online, you're in the room, let's just pray that. Let's pray that prayer over the situations represented in this room because we need peace. And we can find peace when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, when we continue to anticipate his second return, and as we wait with him. So come, Lord Jesus. We pray with me, Father. We just pray right now. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of different situations represented in this room, a lot of chaos. There's things we can celebrate, but there's a lot of things that aren't very celebratory right now in our lives. And so I just pray right now that your power would move and it would move because we would experience your presence. So Jesus, we ask that you would come now, that you would be close now, that we would feel connected now in this moment. I pray for physical health. I know so many of my friends in this room watching online who are struggling with just good health. They desire it. God, I know that you're the God of miracles and that your power can overcome anything in our lives, even our physical issues and our physical struggles. I pray for financial freedom. I pray that you would provide for every need represented in this room in this season. Would you use your church that we would leverage all that we have sacrificially to meet the needs of our brothers and our sisters. I pray for the families that are feeling the brokenness. I pray for the families that are feeling the separation right now in this season. Would you bring healing? We pray it in the name of Jesus that there would be healing in the families represented in this room, that there would be brokenness that is restored marriages that would be made new, that prodigals would come home. God, we trust you for that. We believe that you are capable of doing these things. And so we just say now, come Lord Jesus, we're waiting with you. Would you just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed for just a moment. I'm not gonna do anything to make anyone uncomfortable, but I just want you to think about this. We're gonna land at communion. What a perfect way to celebrate the birth of Jesus, to anticipate his second arrival, the second advent, but to wait with him now in this moment, to remember his body that was broken on our behalf, the humanity that was broken, but also the blood that was poured out as we drink the cup, to know that his blood was poured out on our, on our behalf to do what we couldn't do. But before we do that, I just want you to sit there with your eyes closed and I just want you to engage for a moment. Don't fall asleep. I know it's lunchtime, but just think about this. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, he 
explains communion and what communion is and remembering Jesus. And he says, do it often. And then he says right after that in verse 27, he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Man, this is heavy. Don't miss this. What Paul is reminding us of, he's saying, hey, listen, communion may not be for everyone right now. So don't get caught up in the casual routine, but consider what it means. Consider the implications of what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you need to pay attention to what you're doing because it's got weight to it. There's severity to it. He continues in verse 28, but a person must examine themselves. He's saying, hey, you need to take a look in the mirror. You need to consider where this lands for you. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, don't miss this, for the one who eats or drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. What does it look like to properly recognize the body of Jesus? It means that you recognize him as the Lord of your life. He calls the shots, he's in control. Jesus isn't just some sidekick, some good man in upstairs. He is the boss, he is everything to you. And everything in your life is subject to his leadership. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if he's not the Lord of your life, then you can't celebrate the Lordship of Jesus in your life through communion. It's an offense to God. Man, that's heavy, that's harsh. And listen, if you're here for the first time and you're not really sure where this all lands and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I'm not saying this to push you out. It's actually more of an invitation to consider what would it look like for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to lay your life down, to trust him with everything. What would that look like today? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in a place where you've never really trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you just stumbled on an online screen or an online video today and you're not even sure why you're watching, but maybe today is the day that God is pulling at your heart and he's saying, I want you to trust me with everything because of what Jesus did. Would you do that today? Listen, if you're online right now, or if you're in the room and you would say that today is the day you wanna follow Jesus, that you're finally ready to say, I'm done controlling the narrative of my life. I wanna trust Jesus with everything. I'm gonna ask you to do something uncomfortable maybe for you, but I promise you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to walk to the front of the stage. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna sing 65 verses of a song. I just simply want you to acknowledge that that's you today by just putting your hand up in the air saying, today I want to trust Jesus. I'm looking around, I see you. I see you up in the risers. I see you down front. I see you right down here in the middle. I see you, sir. I see you guys. Just put your hand up. If you're online, let us know online. Put something in the chat, wave in the chat. Today is the day you're like, man, I finally realized why I need to trust Jesus. Anybody else in the room? I see you, sir. Thank you for putting your hand up. Listen, if that's you, and I may have missed you, I, I've seen other hands, but listen, you can put your hands down, but I just want you to consider this. What would it look like to really follow Jesus? It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So just say something like this to God right now. If you raise your hand today, just simply say this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Admit to him that you've made mistakes. Admit to him that you've come up short. Admit to him that you fooled yourself and it's not so that you can feel the shame and the guilt of that. Just let him know. And then tell him you wanna trust him. 
Thank him for Jesus. Thank him for sending Jesus. And then tell him, today I give you my life. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you with it. And then ask him to show you how to live. In Jesus' name, amen.